0: Welcome to the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. This is Pastor Josh. Thank you for tuning in. I'm so glad to share the next few minutes with you today. I want you to find victory and life in Jesus Christ. At Valley View Friends Church, we like to say we're learning how to live as God's people by reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. I would encourage you to look us up on the Up on the web at Valleyviewfriendschurch.org. And these podcasts are posted on our church website. They're also posted on Facebook. You can look us up there as well. Today we're gonna conclude our series in the book of Ruth. The theme for a year has been holy. I've mentioned that a number of times now. And Ruth has a lot to say about holiness and the decisions we make. And as we draw to a close. We need now to see the holy decisions of Ruth and Boaz, how they lead to redemption, not just of their futures, but the redemption a redemption that touches the whole world through Jesus. There's a story told by Paul Lee Tan that illustrates the meaning of redemption. He said that when A.J. Gordon was a pastor, Of a church in Boston, he met a young boy in front of the sanctuary carrying a rusty cage with several birds fluttering nervously inside. Gordon inquired, son, where did you get those birds? And the boy replied, I trapped them out in the field. And where are you going? What are you going to do with them? I'm going to play with them. And then I guess I'll feed them to an old cat we have at home. It's a terrible thing, I guess. But when then Gordon offered to buy them and the lad exclaimed, Mr., You don't want them. They're just little old wild birds that can't sing very well. And Gordon replied, I'll give you two dollars for the cage and the birds. Okay, it's a deal, but you're making a bad bargain. The exchange was made and the boy went away whistling happy with his new shiny coins. Gordon walked around to the back of the church property and opened the door of the small wire coop and let the struggling creature soar into the blue. The next Sunday, he took the empty cage into the pulpit and used it to illustrate his sermon about Christ's coming to seek and save the lost, paying for them with his own precious blood. The boy told me that the birds were not songsters, said Gordon, but when I released them, they winged their way heavenward, and it seemed to me that they were singing, redeemed, redeemed, redeemed. You and I have been held captive to sin, but Christ has purchased our pardon and set us At liberty, when a person has this life-changing experience, he will want to sing, Redeemed, Redeemed, Redeemed. Redemption does have a cost. And in the story of Ruth, Boaz is willing to pay that cost, the cost of redemption, uh, more than another unnamed redeemer. The result is that Boaz changes the future of Ruth and Naomi and ultimately the world. The other redeemer who remains nameless, well, he's forgotten in history. Ultimately, true redemption can only come through Jesus, and he has willingly paid the price for your redemption if you would receive it. But Ruth chapter 4 also calls each of us to act as redeemers in our lives and in families and communities who are seeking to break the cycles of the past and to trust the future that God has for us. So, a big idea I have for you today is that you and I are called by God to receive and to join His plan to break cycles of sin. We're to build the kingdom and we're to live so that generations are blessed by our choices. Let's go ahead and read the text. We're going to finish the book of Ruth with this. It's Ruth chapter 4. It's the whole chapter, verses 1 through 22. And it goes like this. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he mentioned came along. And Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did so. And then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi has come back from Moab and is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of those seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if not, if you will not, then tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except for you, and I am next in line." I will redeem it, he said. And then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it, because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Mahlon." May you have standing in Ephrathath uh, and be famous in Bethlehem through the offspring the Lord gives you by his by this young woman. May your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he made love to her and the Lord enabled her to conceive. And she gave birth to a son. And, and the woman said to Naomi, The women the women living there said Naomi has a son and they named him Obed he was the father of Jesse the father of David This then is the family line of Perez Perez was the father of Hezron Hezron the father of Ram Ram the father of Amminadab Amminadab the father of Nashon Nashon the father of Salmon Salmon the father of Boaz Boaz the father of Obed Obed the father of Jesse and Jesse, the father of David. The story of Ruth ends on a truly happy note. All of our remaining characters end with blessing. Boaz gets to be married to Ruth. Ruth is redeemed and her future is secured. And Naomi, who thought she only had a future of empty bitterness, is now full of hope in her grandson Obed. What a difference from the beginning of the story to the end. In the beginning of Ruth, Elimelech and Naomi face a famine, and they make a decision to leave God's promised land and move to Moab. They wed their sons to Moabite wives and truly put roots down in that country. They're doing what seems wise for themselves with little regard to what God has planned for them. And the result is, well, it's tremendous pain. Naomi loses her husband, her sons, her future. There's no one to carry the family line forward. And here at the end of the story, Ruth and Boaz are choosing to put God first in their lives, and that makes all the difference. This is not a promise of easy life or riches, but a promise of a life that is rightly ordered and whole, and the end result is good. But the end could have been very different. Naomi was ready to let her past become her future. She wanted to be called Mara, bitter. She thought that that was all that was left. She thought her past, all the tragedy, was going to be her continuing future. And Ruth could have done the same, let her past become her future, and so could have Boaz. Both Ruth and Boaz have a heritage and a past that they could have been ashamed of. Perhaps you're in a similar situation. Your past haunts you. Your past is a gorilla in the room of your life. Your past has chained you up and will not let you go. If you're feeling that way, the book of Ruth is for you. Because the book of Ruth invites you and me to break from our pasts, to break the cycles of sin, and to step into God's kingdom. The question becomes, how do you break cycles that are so strong and powerful? How do you break a past that wants to dominate your future? And how do you let redemption rule? Well, the first one is this. The first point I would have is this. You have to let Jesus's future rule over your life instead of your past. You got to let the future that Jesus has for you rule over your life instead of your past little story goes like this. One man said to his friend, Say, you look depressed today. What are you thinking about? My future was the quick answer. Well, what makes that so hopeless, he asked and said, Well, it was my past. Yeah, our past is powerful. Our past is important. I want to tell you today, I realize that your past is very important. I don't want it to just simply go away and be ignored. Those actions and memories will stay with you for good or for bad but God has given us a choice whether we let our past rule over our future or whether we let Jesus shape our future. A cycle of sin, a pattern of sin is broken when your identity is found not in the missteps of the past, but in the future that Jesus has purchased for you. Naomi felt she could only be known by the tragedy of her past. And many people walk through life facing their future as only as far as their past will let them travel. They say their past sins, their mistakes, their regrets, their tragedies have chained them to their future. It doesn't have to be that way. Do you feel like your future is chained to your past? I'm not saying that you forget. I'm not saying you pretend like the past never happened. But it is easy to let the past have too much authority over your mind, over your heart, over your relationships over the dreams for the future. You know, the Jewish people have a word, a very important word, it's shalom. Very simply, it means peace. But peace is not a big enough word for shalom, because it really means that everything is as it should be. And the only way to have true peace, true shalom, things as they should be, is to let God alone have authority over your life. You cannot give sin, you cannot give shame, you cannot give regret, authority, and also give God authority. You can't split authority over your life between multiple places. You've got to give it to God. Nowhere in the book that we've just been studying for the last several weeks do Ruth and Boaz uh, live by their past. They're not governed by their past. I mean, Ruth is a Moabite with all its religious baggage. baggage. She's a widow. She could have decided that these Jewish people only brought hardship on her wife, on her life. She she married these Jew, this Jewish man, and it's been rough ever since. She could have decided not to trust God, but she instead lives trusting God to write a different future. She's given him authority. And the same with Boaz. We don't hear much about his past, but he has a past. In the story, his character is impeccable all the way through. But I want to point out who his mother was. Boaz's mother is Rahab. You've read about her, or you can read about her, in the book of Joshua. As Rahab lives in the city of Jericho, she's a Canaanite. She's not Jewish. She's a prostitute. So Boaz is half Jewish. And his past is not necessarily a proud one. I am sure Rahab had moments where the Jewish community did not respect her because of her past, her profession. However, Boaz would have known from that past that could have governed him with shame. He would have known, he knew instead what it was like for a woman of a questionable past to integrate into Jewish society. And so I think he knew what Ruth was going through. That's interesting. Your past can be the very thing that brings about some redemption, or at least can lead towards redemption. Dan Allender writes these, We are in the presence of a good story when the flaw that shatters shalom is also the doorway to redemption. Whether it be our own flaw or the sin of others, God uses the raw material of sin to create the edifice of his redeemed glory. The point cannot be overemphasized. Your plight is also your redemption. Well, I gotta say, as much as I like Islander's quote, I'm more comfortable saying that Jesus is your redemption, but he builds redemption out of your struggles, out of your sin. Your past is not supposed to have the final word over your future, but it is used to shape it. If you wanna break out of the cycle of sin, you have to surrender and let Jesus rule totally over your life. Secondly, if you want to break the cycle of sin, you've got to do the hard work of holy living and making holy decisions. You know, Jesus is the one who actually purchases redemption for you and me. There's, there, that's just the truth of it. But he invites us to work out salvation, to work out that salvation he's purchased by living a holy life. It's not that we earn salvation, nothing you and I can do can earn salvation, but nonetheless, God has designed it to work out that we respond to redemption with holy living and holy decisions. And and we do so, we live a holy life, we make holy decisions with a couple of things we got to put into place. First one, I've already hinted at at length, and we got to go back to it again, we've got to commit to God. Simply put, God must become your first priority. We see that happen in the story today. Boaz can't be the redeemer that he is if God isn't his first priority. I often feel like a broken record when I mentioned about God needing to be your priority, but I know the demands on each of us are tremendous. We have work, we have expenses, we have pleasure, we have family, we have achievement, we have uh, wanting to be meaningful in our lives, we have expectations of others, they all weigh heavily on our priorities, Sometimes, outright, they say they want to be our top priority, and other things in our lives are more innocent, and they say, oh, we just want to have our share of priority. Perhaps we need to say, no one, but God gets priority. In fact, I'm not perhaps, we need to say, no one, but God gets priority. (sighs) Nothing else in your life should get to be number one, just God. You shouldn't shuffle around priorities and say, well, Sunday's God's day, and Monday's work's priority day, and Saturday's play priority. Uh, it doesn't work that way. God is to take top priority every day, all the time. When we feel like we can switch priorities, and we feel like we can turn priority off and on like a light switch, guess what? We're going to turn off and on our relationship with God like a light switch, and that should not be. He needs to be number one all the time. We've got to commit to him if we want to do the hard work of holy living and holy making holy decisions. Secondly, if we want to do the hard work of holy living and making holy decisions, we need to know God's word. That's something that's really important about Boaz. He knows God's word. And because he knows God's word, he knows what it means to be a kinsman redeemer. And he's prepared to do the task of a kinsman redeemer. He's prepared to face off with the other man who's the nearer kinsman redeemer. Too often I observe people doing what they feel are godly and Christian things but it's just a feeling they have. It's not really built on a knowledge of God's Word. It's not really built on a relationship with God. And if you're going to live a holy life for God, you've got to get into His Word, the Bible. You got to get into it often and take it very seriously. Thirdly, I'd say about living a a holy living and making holy decisions, if you want to do it, you got to be willing to make sacrifices. Boaz is the one who is remembered as a kinsman redeemer in the book of Ruth. Why? He was willing to make the sacrifice. He was willing to pay the cost of Ruth's redemption. And what was that cost? Well, it's actually a very material cost. The law actually would stipulate that a redeemer who would buy the land, redeem the land for family, they'd pay it with their personal money. They'd redeem with their personal finances. And that land would go back to the whole clan the redeemer could work that land and benefit from that land if but if an heir was born to the uh, the land would go back to them at the cost of the redeemer and that's expensive so simply put a kinsman redeemer would purchase a land it wasn't really theirs but they could use it unless an heir came along and then it was just given back to the heir that's expensive In our story today that we read, there's that other redeemer, the one who's nearer, the one whose job it really is to redeem Ruth. He's willing to buy the land, but he's not willing to pay the cost for the land and then give it away. He's not really willing to sacrifice like that for Naomi and for Ruth. Simply put, he just might not be able to afford to purchase the land and give it back to Naomi with an heir. It might also be that he's married and he doesn't want to have a complication of Ruth around. Regardless, the nearer Redeemer in our story, the nameless Redeemer, refuses to sacrifice. He is unwilling to break the cycle, and so he remains nameless. Now, I contend everybody in town knew his name, but that name is left out of the story. That's even a translation uh, issue with our text. Boaz goes so far as to address the man as basically, it's this two-word phrase that we don't really know what to do with. And the best we can say is it means, hey, you, or so-and-so. The NIV says, uh, friend, but one commentator even suggests that Boaz addresses him when he says, come over here to the city gate and let's deal with this, that he addresses the man as, you're no one special. That's the reputation this Redeemer gains because he's unwilling to sacrifice. Back to my point. Redemption has a cost. And breaking a cycle of your past will have a cost. You'll have a cost to pay. It'll take effort to depart from a pattern of sinfulness and uh, to enter a practice of holiness. There's a cost there. But fortunately, Jesus has paid the true cost of redemption. He is yours and my Boaz. A.W. Tozer says it well. He says, salvation was bought not by Jesus' fist, but by his nail-pierced hands. Not by muscle, but by love. Not by vengeance, but by forgiveness. Not by force, but by sacrifice. Cycles are broken. When you receive the help of the Redeemer, Jesus. And they're broken when you are willing to pay a price, to sacrifice, to change a habit, a past. Your past does not have to be your future. I want you to remember that if you're struggling with that today. The book of Ruth has a message. It's perhaps hidden from our eyes, hidden from our ears, but not to the Israelite. I've mentioned that Ruth is a Moabite, and that's a past that she has to wrestle with. But Boaz's presence in the story is also a past that is uncomfortable, not simply because his mother is Rahab, but both Ruth and Boaz have moments in their family tree that needed a kinsman redeemer, and the kinsman redeemers failed. So, I want to mention, I'm not going to read them, but I'm going to mention two very uncomfortable passages from the book of Genesis. They involve a woman named Tamar, and they involve Lot's two daughters. I don't want to go into the details of these texts, but you can read them. You'll read about Tamar in Genesis 38, and you'll read about Lot's daughters in Genesis 19. In fact, I'd go so far as to say this parents, I'd warn you. Go ahead and read those stories yourself ahead of time. Uh, they've got some content in them that you need to be aware of before reading them to your children. They're they're pretty uncomfortable stories. But to sum it up, Lot's daughters they need husbands, and they can't find husbands anywhere, and so they trick their father Lot into getting them pregnant. And one of them has a son who's becomes the father, one of the sons becomes, is named Moab, and he becomes the father of the nation of Moab. And that's Ruth's heritage. So think about it. It's a moment where Lot has these two daughters. They need husbands and they can't find any anywhere. They need a redeemer, a kinsman redeemer, none to be found. And so they take matters into their own hand and Moab is born. Now Tamar, she's also a widow. And she also needs a Redeemer, but the Redeemers refuse. And so she too tricks her way into getting pregnant and continuing her family. That family is, well, Perez. And Perez is part of Boaz's family tree. So on both sides of Ruth and Boaz's family, there are examples of tremendous failures for kinsmen Redeemers. When the need was there, it didn't happen. Both sides of their families had a checkered past, to say the very least. In fact, Genesis 19 and Genesis 38 are even noted in some preaching books as unpreachable chapters of the Bible. They're very awkward. They're very uncomfortable stories. But they are chapters that describe life without a Redeemer. And the result is proof that we are terrible personal saviors. Ruth and Boaz choose to break the cycle. They refuse to let the past become their future. They choose to trust the plan of God and what he has for their future. And so, redemption fills the end of the book of Ruth. Boaz redeems Ruth. Ruth and Boaz redeem Naomi. And even if you caught it at the very end, it's even said that Obed, the baby, redeems Naomi. There in verse 15, it says, he will renew your life and sustain your old age. He's even called a kinsman redeemer in that verse. Now, eventually, if you follow the family tree far enough, you get to, yes, King David. And then farther, farther down, you get to Jesus. And he's the ultimate redeemer. That's why I say uh, breaking a cycle can affect generations. Ruth and Boaz knowing that redeemers are needed and they say, we are going to do it. They set the stage for the coming Messiah, for God's plan. Jesus is the ultimate redeemer. Romans 8 verses 1 and 2 says this, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. In other words, you're redeemed. So, as much as we are to be cycle breakers, and I want to encourage you to do that, we can only redeem as far as we have received redemption from Jesus. One final story, perhaps to help us realize how precious we are to Jesus. This is a story of a little boy who built a sailboat. He built the sailboat and had it all fixed up and tarred and painted and he took it out out to the lake and he pushed it out there hoping that it would sail and sure enough a wisp of breeze filled the little sail and it billowed out and went ripping along the waves and then suddenly before the little boy knew it the boat was out of his reach. Even though he waded in fast and tried to grab it, and as he watched it floated away, he hoped that maybe the breeze would shift and it would come sailing back to him. Instead, he watched it go farther and farther until it was gone. When he went home crying, his mother asked, What's wrong? Didn't it work? And he said, It worked too well. Sometime later, the little boy was downtown, and he walked past a second-hand store, and there in the window he saw his sailboat. It was unmistakably his. So he went in and said to the proprietor, that's my boat. And he walked to the window and picked it up and started to leave with it. But the owner of the shop said, wait a minute, Sonny, that's my boat. I bought it from someone. And the boy said, no, it's my boat. I made it. See, he showed him the little scratches and the marks that he hammered and filed. The man said, I'm sorry, Sonny. If you want it, you have to buy it. Poor little guy didn't have any money, but he worked hard and he saved his penny. And finally, one day he had enough money. He went in and bought the little boat. As he left the store holding the boat close to him, he was heard saying, you're my boat. You're twice my boat. First, you're my boat because I made you. And second, you're my boat because I bought you. If you ever think you aren't worth much, if you ever think you're cheap, just remember what God thinks of you. You're His, twice His. First, because you're His because He made you. And second, you're His because He bought you on the cross. He paid the price to redeem you. So let go of your stress into God's care. And let go of your sins to God's cross. Let's pray. Lord, we all need Jesus as our Redeemer. So thank you for the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. But Lord, right now, I want to pray for the person who is weighed down by their past. Perhaps it's a pattern of sin or abuse in their family. Maybe it's a a never-ending battle with sin. Lord, I pray that today that person would trust Jesus as their Redeemer, that they would stop granting authority to the past, and they would call Jesus their King forever. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with Jesus.